morning and happy Saturday, you guys. It is Amanda and Barron with Kicking Cancer Cares on KSLM Radio, 104.3 FM and 1220 AM. Our sponsor for this first half is Odd Mo's Pizza, which a lot of you guys are familiar with. They are actually just right across the street from our studio. And if you weren't on a diet, you would have got Odd Mo's for lunch today. I know. Barron was like, I'm going to bring you the poppers, the potato poppers, because they're so good. Absolutely phenomenal. I, my one of my faves, and um, I could not eat them today because congratulations I am for having some willpower. I am sure trying, and I was going to give in. You know, it was like those stinking poppers are so worth it. They really are good. But I am just really doing good, and I'm really on track, and I haven't budged, and so yeah, good for you to stay with it. In about a few weeks, I will break. <laughs> well, you so. know what's exciting is last week we had a guest call in from Texas. Mm-hmm. Today we have a guest calling in again. Yes, we do. Dan, where are you calling us from? I am in Galt, California. Which is near Sacramento? Correct. It's below Sacramento, yeah. It's uh, rural America at its finest. Yeah. We call it the Great American Little Town. I okay. love it. It's all for. Well, so, thanks for joining us, Dan. And then, Dan, uh, My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, we keep calling you Dan, but it's Dan Shockley, right? Dan Shockley. And you want to use my, my Navy handle? It's Dan Drydock Shockley. Well, well, we'll get into the dry dock part here in a minute. <laughs> but um, Okay. Just a, a recap, Amanda, what what did you find intriguing about what Dr. Yeager was talking about last week? Um, I think a lot of what stuck with me was, for one, you showed me a picture of his vegetables from his farm. Just so colorful, right? Re- very colorful. And you go to the grocery store and you see the organic versus not organic, which I'm assuming they just don't use chemicals on it. But he really broke it down to the what's in the dirt and the difference between what that dirt grows for your produce and your meats and what you eat. And so I found that very intriguing. I also found it very intriguing that he was in the medical field and he left to go to the be a farmer. Yeah. Um, and 25 years in the medical field. Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting. And I... I had to tread lightly because he made it pretty clear that he didn't want to get too much into that. Yeah. Um, probably didn't want to bash the medical field too much. <laughs> Gosh darn it. <laughs> yeah. Which is understandable. Um, but it's just, uh, I think he saw where the medical field was going versus where he could actually make a difference. Right. And so that's pretty powerful to yeah. make that move in that um, transition and that step. Because like he said, he just recently moved to Texas and he's really working on his farmland and to make it what it was in Oregon. And that's not something that happens overnight. No. And so this is a real dedication, a real passion um, and something that he believes in truly. And so it's just kind of interesting to see where life has led him yeah. from what he's seen in the medical field and just a lot of the information he shared. And pork, it's not supposed to be white. Now, so, <laughs> so, so two things that stood out for me. One, you just said the pork. So it's that phrase, pork is a new white meat. Mm-hmm. And he said pork is not supposed to be white. It's supposed to be red. So the blood's flowing into the muscles, which right. makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said he followed his passion. Like when he talked about the medical stuff, the knowledge was there. Correct. When he went into the soil, there was a passion, his voice. There truly was. It was something that he really believed in. And he saw, instead of 
putting a Band-Aid on a patient when they walk in. He wants to start with what you're putting into your body. Yeah. And not. And I thought it was interesting that he said, so if you're going to eat meat, eat meat through these plants, but make sure the plants is getting good soil. So he took it right down to the nutrients in the soil. He did. And so, and I never thought of it like that. But it makes sense. Um, complete sense. I mean, what the, the plants that your animal is eating would you apps it makes sense it would apps yes Mm -hmm. yeah if it's awful plants and awful nutrients then yeah it doesn't matter if it's free roaming and not being fed chemicals because it's not getting the nutrients it needs regardless right so that i actually really enjoyed that last show it It was was, very fascinating um if he gets back up here again he he had his practice in staten which dan staten's not too far from salem here uh so if he ever gets back Mm -hmm. up here i'll make sure that you get introduced to yes please Please. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. The other thing, Dan, that we've been doing is we've been sharing some recipes with our listeners, and it's out of a mm-hmm. book called The Plant-Based Diet. And one of the things we've talked about is the fact that if you cannot pronounce the ingredient, maybe you shouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, this mm-hmm. one that I brought, I think that you'll love this one, too. This is a peanut butter nice cream. Nice cream. Okay. Nice cream. It has four ingredients, so it has three Frozen ripe bananas broken into thirds. Three tablespoons of peanut, uh, I'm sorry, plant-based milk. Okay. And then two tablespoons of defatted peanut powder, like that PB Fit we talked about. Mm -hmm. And one teaspoon of vanilla extract. Okay. Oh, yeah. And it's not three cups. It's three tablespoons of the milk. Okay. Okay. So just a little bit. Just a little bit. So it says, um, high-fat, sugar-filled ice cream is a late-night staple in many households. Luckily, there are easy, healthy, whole-food, plant-based versions like this peanut butter nice cream. Mm-hmm. Defatted peanut powder is a great option for making nice creams that are lower in fats while still contain the great flavor of peanut butter. So it's really simple. In a food processor, you can buy the bananas, the milk, the peanut powder, and the vanilla. Then you process it on a medium speed for about 30 to 60 seconds until the bananas have blended and smoothed in with the other stuff. If you notice any banana pieces stuck towards the top of the sides of the processor, you may need to stop, scrape them down with a spatula, and then keep blending. So I actually just picked up that peanut butter uh, powder, the PB... Oh, the PB Fit? Yes. Um, I'm going to make that tonight. I'm making that tonight. And it's so simple. It's very simple. Uh, okay, picture time. Picture time. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> and what we do with these, Dan, is Amanda takes a picture of the recipe, and we actually have several listeners that will call in because they listen, but then they actually want the recipe so Amanda has this for the listeners that call in. And I've actually applied oh. um, using the honey as a natural sweetener versus oh. sugar. There you go. Um, in not, not um, this particular, but Brussels sprouts. Instead of using brown sugar to make like a glazed Brussels sprout, um, I used honey oh. instead of sugar. There you Took go. one from your book. Wow. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Well, Dan, the other thing that we've been doing, and it kind of follows your name... But I like to bring some shocking information. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this is going to play so well into your story, Dan. Um, this information is actually fairly recent. 
No, I'm sorry, it's not. I'm sorry, it's not fairly recent. It's an online article from July 15th of 2008. Okay. So this is 15 years old. But it is from a reputable source. It comes from the uh, National Library of Medicine. Okay. And the title, which I find intriguing, 15 years ago, here's the title of the article. It's called Cancer is a Preventable Disease mm-hmm. that Requires Major Lifestyle Changes. Mm-hmm. 15 years ago, the National Library of Medicine, way too many pages, as you told me when I yeah. printed this, and you did double-sided, but they have this massive report that cancer is a preventable disease, but it does require major lifestyle changes. Right. And... The first paragraph alone I found so intriguing. This year, meaning 2008, one million Americans will become diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. and 10 million people worldwide are expected to be diagnosed with cancer. Jeez, a disease commonly to be commonly believed to be preventable. Only five percent of all cancer cases can be ad- attributed to a genetic defects which means 95% of them have their roots in the environment and our lifestyle. Lifestyle factors include cigarette smoking, um, diet, which they specifically call fried foods and red meat. Okay. They called those two out specifically. (laughs) Alcohol, sun exposure, environmental pollutants, and um, stress, obesity, and physical inactivity. Okay. The evidence indicates that of all cancer-related deaths... Almost 25 to 30% are due to tobacco. As many as 30 to 35% are linked to bad diet choices. Mm -hmm. And about 15 to 20% are due to infections. So we've talked about when you cut the tumor out, it could create a new cancer. Yes, yes. Um, And the the remaining percentage are due to other factors like radiation, stress, physical activity, environmental pollutants, etc., Therefore, cancer prevention requires smoking less, increasing ingestion of good fruits and vegetables, moderation of alcohol, caloric restriction, getting some exercise, everything we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. except a really reputable place said this 15 years ago. Right. I think they nailed it. I mean, we've this, the more we dive into this, the more new, it's not new news. It's not new news. Unfortunately, and that's what's sad because I feel like it's they do a lot to mask it. Well, the one thing that I do, as shocking as this is, um, Dan, this says that five percent are genetic defects. Did you know that 15 years ago? I didn't know that 15 years ago. I knew it um, 11 and a half years ago when I was diagnosed. So I think that Amanda made a good point that they knew this 15 years ago. And we've in our course of our show, we've uncovered a lot of stuff that they've known as far back as 45 years ago, and yet they've, they've masked it. Mm-hmm. Except I think this is a great time, Dan, for you to share with us. You said you knew this 11 and a half years ago? Is yeah. That, so so what, what happened 11 and a half years ago? Well, I was 51 and a half years old. I had my first and only colonoscopy. I was scheduled uh, just routine. I knew when I turned the age I needed to have a colonoscopy, so 
Uh, I'm a retired military, so I had my GI um, appointment with the VA. At the time, I lived in Hawaii. So when I woke up from the colonoscopy, my GI doctor was standing there in the recovery room, and he had mentioned that he had found 100 polyps embedded throughout my colon, rectum, and anus. He had photographs, and he showed me, and um, he said, I'm going to need you to come into my office in two days to, so we can sit down and talk because you're a little groggy right now because you've been sedated, and I want to make sure you have a clear mind when I share this information with you because I'm going to refer you to a certified genetic counselor, and that counselor was at the Tripler Army Medical Center there in Hawaii, so let me VA let, medical center. Let me interrupt you just let me interrupt you just for a second, Dan. You went in for a routine colonoscopy, and when you came out of the colonoscopy, they told you you had. Did, did I hear you right? You had one hundred polyps. That's correct, and one of them was causing an eighty percent blockage in my ascending colon. So, now, Dan, I'm asymptomatic, so. You know, we had no idea what was going on. Right. Amanda's got now, a question for you, Dan. What is a polyp for those that don't know? Well, well I'm not a medical professional, so uh, there's there's different types of polyps. So when, you, when you're dealing with this, it's a growth in your intestinal tract. Okay. In my case, uh, I have what's, you know, a polyposis syndrome, so those are very concerning uh, when they find a polyp or polyps. And it all depends if you have a hereditary colon cancer syndrome diagnosis. If you do, then you could have hundreds of polyps. You could have thousands of polyps. Okay. And we have to understand your GI team, your medical team needs to know what exactly you have. And in my case, we knew what we had. We had the testing done. So, uh, and I have to go through routine endoscopic procedures you know, for the rest of my life with my stomach and small intestine. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a growth. It, it, it all depends on um, what your diagnosis is. There's, there's, different, there's many different diagnoses that would lead to having a polyp. Okay. And once again, I'm not a medical professional, but it's, um, they can be benign or they could be high-grade dysplasia. Mine, mine were high-grade dysplasia, so uh, that's why... You know, we had uh, the colon, rectum, and anus removed, and I had been outfitted with a permanent ostomy, which is a uh, prosthetic device, a pouch for the waist. Uh, instead of going through your colon, rectum, and anus, it goes um, at the end of my small intestine. It's surgically adhered to my abdominal cavity okay, outside yeah. of my, at my waistline. So, so before, so that, before you get too much farther into your story, um, you just said something reminding me of a guest that we had a couple weeks ago. Um, named Dave Wentz. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave is seventy, but in the in the seventies, in the mid seventies, he was a Viet. He was in Vietnam. He is a Vietnam vet, and I'm sitting here looking at your story and and your picture. Now, Dad, Amanda knows what you look like. Yes. Um, but it says that you're a retired U.S. Navy. You were in Operation Desert Storm. Thank you for your service, Dan. Thank you so much. Thank you. And then yeah, I also did. Uh, I was also in uh, Operation Enduring and Iraqi Freedom. Yeah, I was I, deployed I, to the Persian Gulf uh, four different times. Oh wow! Uh, three three times on ships, and then uh, that was in ninety two, ninety five, and parts of two thousand one before nine eleven. 
So, so and some... I was on the ground in Bahrain, uh, which is a small island off the coast of Saudi Arabia in the Persian Gulf. I was in Bahrain a week before we started Operation Enduring Freedom, and I, was, I wrote that out uh, when we started Operation Iraqi Freedom. So I spent my last two years on the ground in Bahrain in direct support of those two uh, missions. So for the listeners that don't know, I think the one term most people know is Operation Desert Storm. That's a very recognizable. Mm-hmm. What is Operation Enduring Freedom and what is Operation Iraqi Freedom? What exactly are those, Dan? Well, Operation Enduring Freedom is uh, right after 9-11. This was our uh, you know, going into Afghanistan to take care of our business. And Operation Iraqi Freedom is obviously going up there to Iraq to take care of that situation. Um, when uh, so. so so you were there on the first invasion when President Bush Sr., that's, that's Desert Storm, and you were well, there. I was in Desert Storm Southern Watch. Uh, two years later, I was in, I was in, um, I was in the service, you know, 1981 to 2003. So I was wow. in the service during the Desert Storm era. I was involved with what's called we call Desert Storm Southern Watch. Okay, and that was the two-year anniversary. I was in uh, Persian Gulf. My first deployment to the Persian Gulf. In fact, I was walking the streets of Kuwait two weeks before the uh, second anniversary when the, our battle group launched 45 Tomahawks on Baghdad, and one hit a hotel and one was a dud. So um, I was over there for that campaign. My, so that's what, we, that's what I refer to, Operation Desert Storm. It's actually Desert Storm Southern Watch, but okay. um, it's all part of the same campaign. Right. Just, right. It, it, you know, it spreads out over several years. Mm-hmm. Um, for... So I, I don't know if you're aware, but the radio station that you're on is a conservative talk show radio, so many of these listeners are going to appreciate your service. Very much so. <laughs> um, what what could you enlighten the listeners on that you saw when you were there in Saudi Arabia? Like, as well, I was, as- in, I was in uh, Bahrain, which is a little island off the coast of Saudi Arabia. And we're – Bahrain, the, the naval – base there in Bahrain, it's known as the tip of the spear. It's where the north and the south and the east and the west, we all meet there. And I've been over there in uh, the Middle East, uh, like I said, 90, 92, and you know, 95, as well as 2001 to 2003. So there's a lot of activity, a lot of um, uh, allied forces. Um, when uh, During Freedom, just about all the troops from all the different our allied Troops came in to Bahrain, and then they would disperse from there. Um, then Iraqi freedom, it was more of them being um, sent uh, or rerouted up to uh, Kuwait. So okay. That was closer to that particular campaign. So okay. A lot of interaction. Um, the base was really hopping, and we had a lot of had a lot of colleagues, like, uh, comrades from all the different branches of the um, the, the service. Um, of, different branch, different militaries. It was amazing. Just a Did, incredible time you know, wh- to be over there in that time of history. You know, were you were you uh, involved in any combat situations, or were you far enough away that you weren't in the middle of the conflict? Well, in Bahrain, that's a um, you know, like a, I guess you can. It's it's an island that uh, I was at a communication station, so we okay. provided the comms for all the troops, the that's ships. Cool. 
the, the aircraft, the global, the ground mobile units, and every facet there in the Middle East. You know? Okay. So um, that's that's where I was assigned. Now I was on ships. Now when you're on a ship and you're in the Persian Gulf, you're you're right there. You don't know what's going to happen. So this is There's probably all kinds of things going on out there. So, I bet. So you just mentioned ships. This is probably a great time, Dan. How did you get the nickname Dry Dock? All right. Well, in my Navy career, I was served on board seven different ships. And of those seven, two of them, um, during a particular portion of my time, were um, going into Dry Dock. So basically, um, now this, Amanda has a puzzled look. You better describe What's Dry Dock? Mean? Well, that's where the ship goes when they put it up on blocks. They literally... It's brought into a dock and lifted and, up. Uh, they put it. Gets put on blocks. Okay. And then it um, they they take the water out of the, the dock, and the ship is up on blocks, and they do various maintenance, uh, different. Um, you know, they have to refit things. You know. So basically, you served how, how many ships? Did you say seven different ships? Seven different ships. Wow. Uh, three of them deployed to the Persian Gulf and. But of the seven, two of them were in a dry dock. Now, the the name dry dock actually came by accident. Um, I relocated to Sacramento area uh, many years ago, in 2016. And in 2019, I got involved with a vintage baseball club here in Sacramento, uh, the Central Valley Vintage Baseball Club. They play by rules uh, 1863, okay? Are the so are the rules the that different than 1863? Oh yeah, yeah. There's, you can't overrun first base. Uh, there's no balls and strikes counted. You can catch the ball on a on a hop. Oh wow! Um, and it still counts as an out. You don't we use any clubs. <laughs> bare hands. Um, now this was you know 1863. That's during the Civil War. Era, yeah. Okay. Now um, here's here's where it gets really cool. With my story, um, I was on the USS Abraham Lincoln when I went my second deployment to the Persian Gulf. When we came back, we were homeported in Alameda, California. We rehomeported to Bremerton to go into dry dock. So we were in dry dock for about, I was in dry dock for 11 months. I left the ship. Uh, they sent me to my next assignment after that. Now, out of curiosity, Dan, as a guy who's on a ship, what are you doing for 11 months yeah. when they're in dry dock? Well, we have a lot of maintenance that we're required to do. We okay. have a lot of upkeeping. You know, um, we're going to be standing fire watches. We're going to be assisting the, uh, the, the technicians, the shipyard uh, workers coming on doing work. Uh, we have duty. You know, we have 24-hour duty we have to uh, maintain. Okay. Uh, just for, um, yeah. So, but, um, yeah, it's a very involved evolution, the okay. whole dry dock. And um, when I was playing for the Sacramento the, the Vintage Baseball Club here, the very first game I went to, I was, they put me in the lineup. And I said I played, I'm a left-handed. I say I play first base, and I'm 6'1". So they, they put me in the put me in the lineup and then so they put me down as Dan and then I noticed in the lineup the second baseman 
was an Air Force veteran, and his name was Dan. Oh. So I went to the coach, and I said, well, coach, you know, um, you got two Dans here, so um, we may want to mix this up a little. And he'd get creative. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what. Um, here in the this baseball club, we encourage our players to have a vintage theme nickname. And I looked at him, and uh, I said, okay, well, you just call me Dry Dock. <laughs> oh, I and, love it. Um, so, well, here's the thing. I was on the Abraham Lincoln, okay? He was a president during the Civil War. Well, here's an interesting thing that will that will be interesting for your uh, you and your viewers. My my home of record when I joined the Navy is Illinois, the land of Lincoln. Oh wow, that's so cool. Oh I wow, said, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And they love ah. it, and we just go with it from there. Well, I'm you, not one for giving myself a nickname, but, you know, that fits. So That's such a great All right, combination. So Dan Drydock. Well, hold and some. And then every time I go in for surgery, I put myself in Drydock. I'm in the hospital getting getting a major, uh, you know, refitting of whatever yeah. they're doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, how fitting. Then it's awesome. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but we will be right back after these messages. Um, huge shout out to our sponsor for this first half, which is Oddmo's Pizza. So if you guys are looking for something easy to do for lunch or dinner, just drive on down to Oddmo's Pizza and pick yourself something up. Um, Their pizza is absolutely phenomenal. I highly recommend the Green Monster, as you guys know, and then their potato poppers. You just truly can't go wrong. So we'll be right back after these messages. Stay tuned. 